and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5 for the first time in our in our study through this incredible book. And And today, I get the opportunity to speak to you about something you've likely heard uh, 20,000 times or more. Um, and, and the problem with that there is the risk is that you're going to hear it, but then just dismiss it under the you know, into that bin of already know that and, and not hear anything that I'm trying to, to, to say here. But but the reality is what we're going to talk about, uh, not only can I guarantee that you, you don't fully know it, but but the more we begin to know it, the more we begin to understand it, the more it can transform our lives. And, and so we're going to be talking about is love. We're talking about God's love for us and our love for other people. And and while you may have a, an intellectual understanding about God's love, um, I, I guarantee you don't fully know it because how does how does a finite mind understand an infinite love? We can't. It's it's not possible. But but it's not really primarily about understanding God's love. You see, I, I want you to think about it this way: um, Would you rather have an intellectual understanding about a, a Caribbean vacation? Right, you're sitting at the beach. And you're having this wonderful time there and the water's flowing up there and you got a, a private beach and a personal butler, an all-inclusive resort and the warm breeze. I'm starting to get jealous about all those people in those areas. So we'll, we'll leave it there. But would you rather experience one or just know about one? I think we'd all say we want to experience it. Well, the same thing is true about God's love. We don't want to only know about it. And I think it's important to know about it because knowing about it allows us to, to really begin to experience it. But I want us to experience it, which means that this morning, I want you to do more than just listen with your mind. I want you to listen with your heart. And, and what I mean by that is I want you to allow Jesus to get past our our defenses in our mind where we we just sort of bin it and we put it in a, in a box and we, we try to comp- compartmentalize it and say, oh, we, we understand that. But listen to your heart and let God really speak to you and reveal to you how much not only are you loved, but how much he wants that love to flow through you. So let's read our passage this morning. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we, um, we're tackling, tackling an immense topic. It's immense both in, in its stature, but also in its importance. And it's about love, about your love for us and how that same love can now flow through us. And that love can begin to transform the world. So this morning, I pray that each of us would, would open our hearts to you and what you want to say. That we would, we would experience a deeper knowledge and understanding that, that goes beyond just a comprehension of this great and fantastic love that you have. And that you've given to us as a gift. And may that love begin to transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, the passage here begins verse 1 where, where Paul gives us the command that we're to be imitators or, or some translations use uh, followers of God. And, you know, there's been, there's been so much confusion, I think, around this idea of what does it mean to imitate God? In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but many, many years ago, there was a movement that kind of swept through the churches called WWJD. You remember that? They had the bracelets and the hats and the bandanas and books and so forth. And, and the, the four letters, WWJD, stood for what would Jesus do? And, and the whole premise behind that was that you were to imagine uh, what would Jesus do if he were in that situation that you're in? And then you would go and try and do it. And they thought it was all about you trying to imitate Jesus, you trying to, to pretend you were God and live like God. And, and that's not what Paul has in mind here. He's, he's not telling us to imitate Jesus in that way. First off, note, he didn't say imitate Jesus, he said imitate God. And, and why I say that's significant is you could make maybe make that argument if he talked about imitating Jesus because Jesus came and lived as a man. But he's not talking about that, he says imitate God. And so if we're to try to pretend to be God, if we're trying to imitate God in that sense, then we got to imitate God in everything. Well, God's a creator. He created the universe. So guess what you get to do now? You get to create the universe. And not only that, he's the one that holds the whole universe together. So guess what your job is now? It'd be your job to hold the universe together. And, and God's all knowing. He knows everything. So now you have to know everything. And he's always right. And he never makes mistakes. So guess what? Now that's what you get to do. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that for, for a couple of things. One, as we're going to see, you have to understand the context here, and the context explains that. And, and so we're going to explain that in a second. But, but other than that, the reality is that's not what Christianity is. See, if, if Christianity was this idea of trying to imitate God, imitate, imitate a, a behavior pattern, a moral code, then what we do is we reduce Christianity to a, to a moralistic code, to a rules of do's and don'ts that we're trying to try and follow and impersonate God. And, and Paul says in, in 2 Timothy that that kind of Christianity, while it has the appearance of godliness, it lacks all the power of God. It lacks his strength and his ability. You see, that kind of Christianity doesn't take into account that Jesus died but rose again. He was resurrected to come live inside of you and I. And, and, and he came to live inside of you and I that he might actually now live inside of you and I. That he might live through you and me today. And so he's very much alive. And so the, the invitation or the command here is not to live like God in that sense. Because that would be no different than the, than the lie that Satan tried to pass off on Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that lie? That you can do this to be like God. And that's not the case. Remember what Galatians 2.20 teaches us. That, that the old me died so there could be a brand new me that Christ now lives in. So it's no longer my strength. It's no longer my power. But now it's the life and the power of Jesus living in and through me. So think of it this way. The Christian life for you and me is not difficult to live. It's just impossible, right? It's, it's impossible for you and I to pull off that kind of life because there's only one person that can pull off that kind of life. And that's Jesus because it's his life. And so we're going to trust Jesus to be Jesus in us. We're going to trust God to trust God in us. So what does Paul mean then when he's inviting us or commanding us to imitate God? Like I said, the passage is going to tell us. 
he he's directing us towards something in particular. And so we're going to see that in a minute. But it's really important that that you don't lift a couple words or a couple phrases out of the passage and, and just examine them on their own. We need to see it in the greater context here. So again, we're going to see that in a moment. But before we get to what he means specifically, Paul takes a moment to remind us who we are. You see, th- this is really important. It's really critical because our identity, who you are, always leads to and determines your purpose. See, that's why it's so important to understand who we are. Otherwise, what happens is is we're going to jump to that purpose. We're going to jump to what we need to do, and we'll often build an identity based on that that behavior, based on that performance, which is going to lead us to all kinds of trouble. See, it's why Paul spent the first three chapters of his book painstakingly almost to establish and, and, and lay that foundation of who we are in Jesus. What's our identity? And remember that, that the original readers, when they would have read this book, they would have read the whole letter in one sitting. And so those first three chapters would have been fresh in their mind. Unlike for us, you know, that was, it's been a couple months since we last cha- studied those chapters. And yet, even though it's so fresh in their minds, Paul takes a moment to remind them who they are. To remind them that they're beloved children. Now, this this word here translated children, you know, there, there's a couple different words in the Greek. One word that the most common word for for son or or child is is huios, and, and that's often that's it's used almost 400 times in the scriptures, and and it's often used to refer to a child in relation to their standing in relation to their position and the rights that come with being having the privilege of being the son of the master. And, and, and so, for example, when, when Jesus told the story of the, of the parable of the prodigal son, he used, when talking about that younger son, that prodigal son, he used that word huios when he referred to how the son saying, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I don't deserve to be called your huios anymore. Because I've lost that right, I've lost that standing, I've lost all those privileges. And that's how it's often used. But that's not the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 5. Instead, Paul uses a different word. He used the word technon. And, and it's, it's used you know, often, but, but not nearly as often as the other one. But what's beautiful about technon is that it refers to, to more of a term of endearment. Uh, it's it's in term uh, of love, right? And so, for example, I might say that that joy is my wife, which is her standing and her position and and so forth. But I might also call her my bride, which would infer a, a, a term of endearment and love. And that's what that's what Paul's using here. He's not just referring to us as sons by right, but he's referring to us as sons, as technons, as children. By love, by passion. And yet that's not even enough. And, and so he adds the adjective of agapitos, which is, which is, you might be familiar with the word agape as the root word there for love. And so we are agapitos technon or beloved children. Do, do you hear the heart now that Paul's referring to us? Don't, don't skip past the significance of this. Make sure you're listening to here because this is one of those things I want you to hear, not just with your mind, but with your heart. Let it sink in because it's so important. See, see, God's not just tolerating you. 
He, he's not just putting up with you. He, he, he's not stuck with you because you prayed some kind of prayer and now he's obligated to be with you. He's not indifferent towards you. Nor is he even disappointed with you. He's not disappointed with your struggles. He's not disappointed with your failures. He's not even disappointed with what you went through last night. He's, he's right there. He's, he's with you and you're not some insignificant person that if you were to suddenly disappear, he wouldn't notice. On the contrary, you, you are seen by our father. He knows all your struggles. He knows all your thoughts. He knows your successes. He knows your failures. He knows your heart's desires. And he knows the pain that you carry, the anger and the disappointment. Some of it directed towards yourself and even some of it directed towards him. And he knows about it. And he wants you. In fact, he even wants all your pain. He wants your struggles. He wants the shame you're carrying. You are very significant to him. In, in Isaiah 49 verse 16, it talks about how, how you and I are inscribed on the palms of his hand. That's why the wounds of the cross didn't disappear when Jesus was resurrected. I think he wanted to be able to look down and see the nail marks to remind him of you. It's that more than a permanent tattoo of sorts. You are so loved that the Holy Spirit has chosen to forever unite himself with you and I. That his spirit and our spirit has become one spirit now, which means that he's promised to stand with you and I through everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He, he's never going to abandon us. He's never going to turn his back on us. Yeah. Instead, what he's done is, is he's promised to care for you, to provide for you, because, because his heart's been filled with compassion and love towards you and I, so much so that you are a precious treasure to him. That's who you are, and that you've been made new. As Ephesians 4, 24 said, as we saw a little while ago, that you and I have been created in the image of God and his likeness in holiness and righteousness. And that is the truth today. That's your heart today, right now. You're a spitting image of him. And, and that's what he wants us to know. That's, that's the basis of our identity, what God has done. And understanding that identity, understanding who we are, Understanding that this is your new and current nature, your new heart, that we now get to live in accordance to that and therefore are able to follow the example of our father and live like our father. And, and that's what Paul's inviting us to, to imitate, to live like our father, to, to behave in a way that's in accordance with our family. And, and now he's going to be specific. So what does he mean when he talks about imitating God? In what way are we to imitate God? And that brings us to the second command of the passage. And that, that's Ephesians 5 verse 2. And so the first command there was talking about to be imitators of God. But now he's going to be specific in the second command of verse 2, which is we are to walk in love. So, so because of who we are now, we are to follow his example of love. Now, this, this word walk, I think, is important. I think it's significant because it seems to be a favorite word that Paul uses. He uses it almost in every single letter, I think, that he wrote. But even in this one letter alone, he uses it seven times. 
And and he, in fact, he kicked off uh, chapter four, the section of verses chapters four, five, and six, with this this uh, this command imploring us the how we're to walk. So Ephesians four one was walk as who you are. Again, do you understand how our identity determines who you are? If you're a sinner saved by grace, walk as who you are means you're going to live like a sinner. But if you're a saint and you walk as who you are, then we can live like saints. And then Ephesians 4, 17, he says, don't walk like the world. Don't live like the world. And, and that's really important. I mean, we, we see the world. We see the divisiveness, the anger, the hatred, the, the coldness of our culture. And we're not to live that way. And now here in Ephesians 5, 2, the command to walk in love. Let's read that verse again. Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, let's start with that word love. You know, I, I did a quick quick search online to see, you know, how does the world define love? And, and, and here are some of the results it gave me. It says, it, love is an intense feeling or a deep affection. It's a great interest and pleasure in something, like a hobby, like a sport. It's a strong feeling of attraction for another, a feeling of attraction based on desire. Or or this one, to feel something that is more than liking to someone. I don't even know what that means, but that's, you know, these are some of the common definitions. And, and notice what they all had in common. This idea that love ultimately is, is a feeling at the heart. That's how it boils it down. It boils it down to a feeling that we have, which makes it utterly impotent utterly powerless you see feelings come and go they change they're they're like sandcastles on a beach here one moment gone the next they don't last and if we think love in those terms no wonder we struggle with god's love because the reality is you don't always feel loved doesn't mean you are not it just means you're not feeling it in that moment but if, if we define love as being something sentimental well, then, then our standing and our worth with God's going to fluctuate up and down. No wonder we struggle with, with God's love. And if you struggle with God's love, if you struggle with being loved, then you're going to get desperate and look for love in all kinds of unhealthy ways. And that's a miserable way to live, as well as a dangerous way to live. And so while love has a feeling component to it, it's not the basis of it. It's not the heart of it. The feeling actually is more of a, a byproduct of that love. So, so let's turn to the scriptures. Let's understand how does the scriptures define what love is. And, and basically what we're going to see is love's in action. Love is something that we do. It, it's serving others. The, 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 the translators of the King James Bible, I think they were trying to capture this when they would translate love. Often they would translate the word love, agape, they would translate it as charity. Which I think is really interesting because what they're trying to convey is this idea that it's it's serving others. It's it's giving to someone who's in need. And that's that's basically as as John Lynch likes to describe it, love is serving or meeting someone's need. Think about it this way the, the miracles we saw Jesus do. Right? Scriptures often will record that Jesus was moved by compassion and therefore did. So that love was the action of healing. So, so here's my working definition of love. 
Love is this, doing what is in the best interest of another, even if it costs me something. Right? So you see, it's an action. It's something we do to serve someone else. And, and I say that because I think that's what Jesus was trying to convey. In, in John 15, Jesus described it this way in verses 12 and 13. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, it's interesting, lay down his life. He, immediately we think about Jesus and how he sacrificed his life on the cross, and that's true. But Jesus was thinking more than that. You see, there's a couple words that are often translated life in, in Scripture. One of them is, is bios. It, it speaks to our, our physical life. It's where we get words like biology from or biography. But then there's another word called suke. It's literally your soul. You see, Jesus wasn't talking about laying down your bios for another. You see, that's in some ways easier. Because you think about it. How many times can you lay down your bios for another person? One time. But how many times can you lay down your soul? Lay down what you want, what you desire, what, what's comfortable for you, what you think is right in order to bless someone else over and over and over again. That's what makes relationships so hard. That's what makes parenting so hard it is because that's what you're constantly being asked to do is to lay down your life for those little ones over and over and over again. And it's hard and it's difficult. And yet that's what love is. It's serving and giving to another person. You know, I, I sometimes joke about, about this being marriage counseling 101, right? That, that imagine, you know, a spouse would come into my office and they would, they would say to me, here's my problem. I, I don't love my spouse anymore. What do you think I should do? And I, I, I response to them would be, well, then, then love them. But, but you don't understand. That's my problem. I don't, I don't feel love for my spouse anymore. Exactly. You see, in loving them, you will begin to experience that feeling of love. It's, it's, it's a byproduct. It's a response. It's not what drives it. Love is the action. Love is the choice. And, and when we practice that love in action, you'll begin to experience it, feel it as well. But you see, this command to love, it's so foundational to Christianity. It, it's so much at the core. I mean, think about it this way. We all, we all probably know John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse of the New Testament, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? We see the love of God and what it did, right? God loved the world, so he gave his son. He died on that cross. But see, we also need to know 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren, for one another. You see, it's not just a love from God to us. See, now that love gets to flow from us to others. And it's his love, right? Think about it this way, this, this idea of a river, right? The, the river of God's love doesn't flow into you and stops there. Then it become a bit of a stagnant pond. Instead, it's flowing in and now through us towards other people. 
And so we have other famous passages, we, right? We have the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated, as we see in Matthew 7. Or, or the familiar phrase, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Which again, kind of begs the question, well, who's our neighbor? And that was the question that, that the Pharisees asked Jesus when he said that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so his response was to tell that famous parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that one where, where Jesus talks about a man who was out on a, on a journey. He was out on the road on the highway when a bunch of bandits came and jumped him. And they beat him and they stripped him and they robbed him. And then they left him on the roadside to die. And so while he's bleeding out, dying, along comes a priest. Now, a priest would know the law. A priest would know what he's supposed to do here. He, he'd be familiar with God and his ways. And Jesus says, and the priest not only passed him by, but actually crossed over to the other side to make sure that there was more distance between him and the guy bleeding out. And then along comes a Levite, someone else who would be familiar with God's law. And again, he does the same thing. Again, not only passes him by, but passes him by on the other side. And then comes this Samaritan. Now, to understand the significance here, why why Jesus says it was a Samaritan was because Samaritans they were they were seen as less than by the Jews. They they hated the Samaritans. They saw them as as filthy in uh, mixed breeds. They they didn't they didn't respect them at all. To to put them in context or perspective, uh, um, imagine um, uh, if uh, the person who was bleeding it was a Jew and along comes an Arab. They were that hated, that, that, that level of, of, you know, dog and cat, oil and water, do not mix. And the Samaritan sees this man bleeding out and he comes to his aid. And it says he was moved by compassion to rescue him. He tended to his wounds. He cared for him. He, he put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn to recover, and then paid the innkeeper for as long as this man needed to recover took care of all of his debts. He says, that's the kind of love that we're looking for, that kind of love for our neighbor. So, so what does that mean for us today then? Because see, our neighbor isn't just the guy next door to you. Our, our neighbor is anybody. It's whoever's right here in front of us. And you see, it's, it's easy, I think, for you and I to love those who are just like us. Right, those those who are similar to us, and or, or or those who who are are just generally easy to like. Right, I mean, it's it's easy to like the hams. It's it's easy to like the Balfours, all of them, even 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 Sheila. It's easy to like them. Right, it's it's easy to like people like the the, the Summers and the Vivers and so forth. It it doesn't take much. But then there's others. There are, there are others who are, are, are different from us. People, people that have these weird quirks. They're just odd, right? There's, they like kind of, you know, almost like ticks to them or something like that, right? They, they got different political opinions. They, they have different ideas about COVID and they have different ideas about lockdown and different opinions of what the government really should do. Right, that they they should either you know be doing more or they should be doing less and more for those who are struggling with with mental health issues, right? And and so they have all kinds of different opinions than you and I. And, and then there are people with with these sharp edges and prickly personalities who who seemingly go through life with their arms and elbows up, 
you know, giving everyone a quick elbow to the head. Then there are people who have, have different views around, you know, end times and, and different positions on theology and, and about when Jesus will return and what that looks like. And then there are certain people who cheer for the Montreal Canadiens and drink American beer, right? I know. I don't get it either, but yet they still do it. And, and if we were to focus on their differences and how, they, how, they, how they're not like us, it would be easy to reject them. It would be easy to, to keep them at a safe distance and push them away. But you see, that's, that's not what we're called to. We're called to love our neighbor, even if they are different from us. And, and you see, we, we as a new life, we didn't really begin to become a community until, until people who are different than us began to join. And now we get to experience real community. Now we get to experience a love that isn't just because we're similar, but a love that's from God. You see, the true test of love is not how you love those that are like you, but how you love those who are not like you. How you love those that are in disagreement with you. How you love those people. And you see, that's what we're trying to create a new life. And, and I say trying to create because I, I know full well that we're still learning. And we haven't done it perfectly. And, and I don't think we'll ever will. I, I think we're always going to be learning. We're always going to be, be growing in this area. But that's what we're, we're striving to do. That's what we're wanting to do is, is learn how do I love one another? More, more specifically, how do I let the love of God through me love one another? And, and that's what's so beautiful. You see, we're trying to create a place where it doesn't matter who you are. You can experience that love. Where we don't only talk about the grace of God, but we express and experience it. Again, even if they're not part of our community yet. And, and I got to say, I'm really impressed with, with what I've seen, especially over these last few months, where, where I've seen people like, like Nikki and, and Sue and Cheryl and, and, and Jer and Megan and so many others go out of their way to show that love, to show that compassion to other people who are in the midst of their struggles. It's been beautiful to watch. Well, let's, let's now understand the motive behind this love because that's really important. Is it, is it simply because we're commanded or is it something else? Let's, let's put Ephesians 5 verse 2 back up there and, and, and let's leave it there for a moment because I want, I want you to see something about here, right? So it says, walk in love just as. There's that phrase we saw last time, right? A couple Last week, right? Um, when we were in Ephesians about four, looking at forgiveness, right? Just as in the same way, that Christ also loved you and me and he gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The first thing I want you to notice here is that that word gave is actually the word surrender. That Jesus surrendered himself to God. You see, love was a choice. It wasn't, it wasn't a demand. It wasn't a requirement. It was instead, it was something that, that Jesus chose to do. He chose to offer himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God. And so that's what we get to do. Love is a choice that we get to offer. But here's the other thing I want you to notice in this verse. Notice that Paul switches from the for you to then for us. 
Now, now why is that that significant? Well, see, I think what he's doing there is he's he's trying to get to the mode of all this. And and there was a, a commentator I think that captured this really well. Let me quote to you. He says this: the the better reading is for us and not for you, as some might translate this in the second part of the verse. He says the phrase makes the whole statement more than a model for our love. It at the same time states the motive for our love and calls forth love from us as nothing else could. Do not pound Christians with the law in order to make them love. The law kindles no love. Set them afire in love by the love of Christ who died for them. See, what I want you to see is our, our love, our, the motive of our love is not out of duty and obligation. It's not because we've been given some kind of command. The motive of our love is really, it's a response to God's love for us. It's a response for all that he's given to us and offered to us that naturally begins to flow out of us. See, John put it this way in 1 John 4, 19, he wrote this. He says, we love because he first loved us. Again, our love for other people, it's a, it's a response. And the most natural response, <clears throat> it's the most natural response that we could find. Or, or 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. Or, or I like the word, it compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. You see, the love of Jesus, it, it drives us to love. <clears throat> you see, when you start to know and understand God's love, it's almost impossible to not love because that love is, is it just can't be contained. You, you can't, you can't bottle up and, and bury that kind of love. It begins to flow through us. And so you see, if, if we're finding it difficult to love other people, then I think we need a fresh reminder of two things. Number one, we need to remember that this love, it doesn't originate with you and I. It, it, it's not our job to create and, and try, to, try to stir up and, 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 and create this kind of love for other people. Instead, this love is coming from Jesus who lives in me. Remember, he's the source of our love. And, and therefore, I need to trust Jesus, not just for, not just to, to lead me as to who to love, but the how to love as well, that that he's the source of the power behind it. <clears throat> Remember what, what Paul says in Philippians, that, that God is in you both to will and to do. Meaning he's in us to lead us to where we go and who we love, but then he provides the power through his life, through us, to do it himself. And, and so we need to remember that, that he's the source of that love, and we trust and depend on that. But here's the second thing we need to be reminded of. We need to remember that, that it's, it's his infinite, powerful, life-changing, overwhelming, chase you to hell and back again. That kind of love is for you. That's, that's what he offers to you every moment of every day, never changing. And, and it's that fact that you're that love that, again, I want you to hear not just with your head, but with your heart. Oh, guys, let it sink in. Open your heart to what God wants to say to you on that. 
because it really will transform you. Let's, let's return to that, that story, that parable of the prodigal son to kind of drive that home. And, and this time I want you to put yourself in the story. I, I think what Jesus, when he first told the story, ideally he wanted us to identify with the Samaritan, that we would see what the Samaritan would, was doing and that we would offer ourselves in the same way as the Samaritan, which is absolutely true. And that was the intent of Jesus. But, but I want you to see it from a different side because remember our love is for other people is a response to God's love for us. So, so this time, this time I want you to see yourself as the guy who was beaten up. That, that you've been beaten up by this world. That you've been attacked and jumped out of nowhere. That you've been, been stripped naked and shamed and embarrassed. That you've been rejected. That you've been robbed. That, that, that self-respect, that worth, that significance was taken from you. And, and you've been left now to die on the roadside, bleeding out. And, and this world, this world won't, won't help you. They've, not only have they passed you by, they've, they've, they've separated. They've made some distance because they, they can't be associated with someone like you. You're, you're, you're not good enough. And therefore they want nothing to do with you. And religion, religion can't offer you any help either. Religion says when you get your act together, then maybe. Maybe we can stand with you. And so the two of them have passed you by. And then along comes a stranger. A foreigner, really. Because he's, he's not of this world. And that's Jesus. And, and he had every right to just keep going. But he, he stops everything. And he, he bends down. Moved by compassion. See, let's let's listen to how how Jesus told a story in, in Luke chapter ten. Begin verse thirty three. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He felt love, and he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I'll repay you. See, Jesus, Jesus was moved by compassion to rescue us. He saw our wounds. He saw our hurts. He saw the shame. He saw the self-hatred. And he bends down and he tends to our wounds. And he provides for us. He cares for us. He's paid our debts and he's caring for us, you and, you and I, right now. That's, that's the love he has for us. That's the love that he's freely offered to us. You're that loved. And it's, it's that love when we allow it to sink in and we, we trust it, when we receive it, that enables us to love other people. That, it, that enables us to come out from our hiding places. That, it, that enables us to, to step into the lives of other people and offer that same love to them. Literally same love. Not, not I'm drumming up that kind of love. Not that I'm impersonating that love. No, no. 
that exact same love flows through me to one another. So, so here's, here's what we can do. I think, I think it starts with a simple prayer. Number one, pray that God would continue to open your eyes to this love. And that you would trust it. And, and you would trust it by then praying, God, who can I show this love to? Who, who can I offer this love to? It gets me out of that navel gazing, out of that only looking to myself and, and stepping into how I can love one another. How can I love someone else? And that, to be quite frankly, is really hard right now. Because, you know, right now, everything that we're being told to do is to isolate from other people, to stay away from other people. And so it makes it more difficult, but it's not impossible. And, and so maybe what you can do is you can, you make a list of all your, your family and your close friends and, and you begin to pray over that list and say, God, who, who can I reach out to? Maybe, maybe I call them up. Maybe I, uh, I offer them uh, uh, a, a letter, a note, a text, a word of encouragement. Maybe I can let them know that I'm praying for them. Maybe I can ask them how I can pray for them. Or maybe I just, you know, call them up and, Ask them about, you know, how they think the Raptors will do later today or, or, you know, what, what they got planned this week or how are they handling, you know, being at home with the kids. And I just talk, just kind of share life with them. Or, or maybe, maybe I go through uh, the list of my friends on Facebook, the people who I'm not as close to as my, you know, close, close friends, but some acquaintances. And, and maybe I look over that list and send them a quick note. Send them a, a little wave or, or a way to say hi to them. Or, or maybe, maybe I pull out the church directory and I, I can take a look at the church directory and see who in the church can I pray for, who in the church can I bless, and just sort of reach out and say, how you doing? How can I help you? And, and notice I kept it generic, just the church directory, because I know not everyone watching right now is part of New Life. And that's okay. That's great. Because we're all part of the church. There's only one church. And and so you can hear this message and then go bless the people of your church that aren't part of your life. And that's that's fantastic. Because again, there's one church with Jesus as the head that we're all part of. Or or maybe we just need to be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for those who are hurting, those who are struggling. And and when we see one, someone that the world has beaten up and stripped and embarrassed and shamed and is dying right now. Dying with the, the weight of what they're going through. We come alongside them and and share some of that load. Share some of that weight. And, and simply trust that God will be the one to show us who and how and then the power to pull that off. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you that this command to imitate you is not, not us trying to pretend that we need to become you in any way. That we're not the source and the power of this. That, that what you're asking of us is to offer the same love that you gave us. That we would be willing to, to sacrifice and offer ourselves to other people. To bless them, to to encourage them, to support them, that they would, they would experience your love through us. 
and and that really starts with knowing your love for us. So God, I pray, I pray that you would again surprise us somehow today. Show us some way, somehow, the significance of your love for us. Not just for what you did 2,000 years ago. Not just for what you did 16 years ago or six months ago or last week or even, even yesterday. But you would show us today, right now, this overwhelming, never-ending, scandalous love that you have for us. And that we would trust it, that we would, we would, we would embrace it, and know that despite what we're feeling, we are the most loved people in this world. In your name, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.